Hello, welcome to our podcast. I'm Josh Way. I'm Dan Hammer. And we're going to talk about a movie that uh, both of us, each of us, at least one of us, has seen before and figure out how well it holds up. How you doing this week, Dan? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm very well myself. <laughs> yeah, so we saw a lot of the same stuff this week. We did. I mean, we saw Longshot. What else did we see? Uh, well, I, I don't know yet if we both saw Suspiria. Oh, I saw all but like the last 30 minutes because I found Oh, asleep. okay. But I did enjoy it, and I want to return to it to give yeah. it a proper viewing. Sure. Okay, then we'll we'll table that. I looked up a plot synopsis to see yeah. how much exactly I missed, and it turns out I missed a ton. Did, yeah, okay. I mean, I did fall asleep, but that's not a comment on the movie. It was a long day. Sure. All right. Well, I guess we both saw Longshot, so... Uh... <sighs> I think you hated it. I think I was, I thought it was okay. I I hated it by the end. I liked the first hour or so. I was morally offended by it. Wow. It would, it would be for me an Ebert zero star wow. <laughs> movie on those grounds of morality, because that was the only way he would give a zero star review. If there was right. something like immoral or reprehensible. <laughs> So what is what's so offensive here? Take walk us through it. Well, I mean, clearly it's it's not that bad, but I just had a really bad experience with that film in the theater. I was really put off by the opening Nazi scene making light of something so insidious and dangerous and a threat to our shared life right now, making them kind of comical foils. And then we're in not a real world where he's able to leap from a building and fall several stories and then escape. So right. we're, we're not living in the real world, obviously. Now, coming into this, are you the are you someone who enjoys a Seth Rogen joint? I can be okay with the Seth Rogen joint with um, something that's you know Apatowy. I I can enjoy that, and they tend to be over long and. Yep all based on the premise that someone like Seth Rogen is completely unlovable, which obviously audiences don't agree with because mm -hmm. they like him in a romantic lead. I feel like he's become too much of his own character where what used to flow quite naturally from who he is, he seems to have studied that and is now trying to put it on and trying to heighten the Rogan-ness that he's bringing. That's just my feeling about yeah. it. And I found that he was less charming and generally more annoying throughout. There's no yeah. reason why a character like that needs to be such a schlub. I don't, th I didn't read that as real. And I get that mm -hmm. they're making a statement about the kind of reporter that he is. Oh, you know, F this and F everything. I get that um, as far as satire goes, but it's also not very incisive or smart. And so I was, you know, going with it as far as him going on to the campaign, even though that's ridiculous and their romance. Okay. But then when it got serious and their lives were threatened wherever they were, and there was like a, a bombing or something and they had to be rushed to safety. Right. They're trying to make, they're trying to raise the political stakes. Um, and then where the film obviously lost me entirely is when he's talking to his best friend, um, a, a black man who comes out as a Republican and a Christian and sermonizes 
to him about how he could just never be himself because it's just yeah. so unacceptable to be a Republican and a Christian. That was and, an egregious scene. That was a really and to have um, unearned moment. Certainly any person of color, but a black man of all people be the purveyor of that nonsense I found to be particularly offensive. Yeah. Um, and we're just taking the centrist viewpoint that everyone needs to compromise and we're, we're creating a moral equivalence between Christian Republicans and other people who are actually oppressed by their policies saying, oh, it's just as hard to be the person who oppresses as it is to be oppressed. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And to have a black man bring that message was incredibly offensive to me. And so the movie lost me at that point. Hmm. And then it tried to have its cake and eat it too by overturning that moral message without confronting it. So right. it, that was the turning point for Rogan's character where, oh yeah, maybe I should be treated with complete disrespect and be hidden as the new wave mistress of this incoming White House administration, maybe I really do need to compromise because I learned something from my Christian Republican friend. But then they turn that around and she tries to go the other direction and say, no, that's not right. I need to be out about the person who I love and not be ashamed and treat him with respect. And so, no, no compromising. And look, everyone loves me for it. And then I hated the epilogue. I wish mm -hmm. that we hadn't known the outcome of the election because that doesn't matter. Where right. now she's in the White House, he's still an idiot, making you know a comic book style first guy portrait. It just mm -hmm. was going on and on and on, and there's obstacle and obstacle and obstacle after the major crisis had taken place. And I left the movie exhausted. My head hurt. My jaw was clenched. I got in a big fight with my husband wow. <laughs> on the way home. Wow, the repercussions of this screening. <laughs> Not because we disagreed on the movie, but because it had sent me into such a foul state that he didn't feel that anyone should have to suffer me, and he's probably right. <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> I was trying to think I'm going to stick this out because he's out for a night out as well and probably yeah. enjoying it a little more than I am. Um, but then he informed me that he doesn't like anything well enough to have to put up with me <laughs> after seeing a movie like that. So and Long so Shot radicalized you. It absolutely did. And there's something about the title where I could not remember it for days. And still, when I bring it up to people, I have to think twice about what the title even right. is. I cannot remember this title. It's not a very organic title because it's no. not about, do they have a shot? Right. I was taking like a double meaning, like it's a long shot that he'd be able to get with a woman like her sure. and also long shot toward being a presidential contender. Right. But she has that pretty much seized up uh, sure thing almost from the beginning of the movie. And I don't know. I feel like this I feel like this movie tries to do two big things that could be their own movie. One being the mismatched uh, Seth Rogen and a incredibly beautiful, elegant actress. And then the political uh, satire on this moment in America. And they don't do either of them really well. Because no. the political stuff can't be sharp because it's just the dressing. And there's a little bit, you know, the the Fox and Friends thing with uh, Paul Shear and Claudio Darty and the Andy Circus as the Rupert Murdoch kind of character. Some fun there, but that's only like a hint of what could have been a wacky movie, just straight up lampooning, you know, the Fox News culture and all that stuff. Not enough. And, an and another thing about that Fox News stuff. Yeah. There is this thing where 
we show people in movies or in TV or whatever behaving badly in ways that we know we're not allowed to. And so we laugh at how offensive they are when actually the things that they're doing aren't funny. That's the whole point. But then we feel free to laugh at the misogyny and the homophobia and the hatefulness that is wrecking life in the world because, oh, well, they're they're presenting it as a joke. They're presenting it. Isn't this like Fox and Friends? Yeah, actually, we should cry because it is sort of like Fox and Friends. And I don't like the idea of these theaters being full of people who are guffawing at the horrible things these people are saying, not really because they're um, knowing how wrong they are, but because really it reflects maybe what they think. And they are somehow happy to see it being said. And they can pretend that we're laughing because we know how wrong it is. I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So it's like a, it's like a two stars situation over on my side, but you're, uh, you're drawing a line in the sand. Yeah. There, there were two movies there and I agree with you that had it been a more formulaic, I mean, it was formulaic, but if you take the formulaic piece of it, where the unlikely guy meets this girl of his dreams from his past, who now has become a woman of prominence in the political realm and They have a romance that can't be because the public won't accept him. And so he's about ready to compromise when she turns around and says, no, this is the man I love. And then everyone loves them. That could have been a movie unto itself had we gotten rid of all the um, political elements. But the point was they were trying to set themselves apart with Mm -hmm. the political elements. That to me is the identity, um, the, the primary identity marker of the movie. That's what makes it different from other movies like this. And yet it wasn't politically sharp. It was mm-hmm. intentionally dull, trying to take a centrist view and saying, oh, don't we understand that when we live in our echo chambers, we never really listen to each other sure. and we'll never get anywhere. Right. And there's some truth in that, but that isn't the answer to what is uh, the toxicity in our country today. Yeah. And I found the idea that, you know, white, straight, bro culture that would be the normal target audience for something like this, who have nothing to lose with the current political milieu saying, yeah, that's the problem. People are too upset about about having different ideas. Right. And I can laugh. And this is Seth Rogen. And this is really cute. And haha, Fox and friends, look at the racist and horrible things that they say about women. Uh, they shouldn't be saying that. That's really funny to watch someone do it, though. I hate it. That's kind of the uh, bread and butter of these Seth, the Seth Rogen movies that are executive produced by him. Not the ones where he appears in it like an Apatow, but the ones that he and his producing partner make, like the interview and uh, stuff like that. The one with the North Korean one, they like right. to. You can you can just sense them in a room coming up with the Nazi scene or whatever. Like, what's the most what what will people be like? Oh shit! They they went there. Like that. That's what they trade in. That is very true. That's what they trade in, and I loathe it. And I'd kind of forgotten how much I hate that. And going to this movie reminded me. And they they've lost my business. Wow. You know they're just going to have to make billions without me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess so. All right. So Dan's going to see Longshot again, and then uh, get back mm-hmm. to us with a follow up review. See if it holds up. Did you see anything else in the last week, Dan? I did. I saw Book Smart. Oh, that's and great. Yeah. Yeah. So should anyone from my rant think that I just can't be fun and I'm not very fun, but I can't be fun and don't love a, a silly um, formula teeny trope movie. Book smart is 
a wildly good time. A lot of people in it who I like sort of recognize. I can't quickly like say everybody's name who was involved in this, but this is Olivia Wilde. Uh, it is it her directorial debut? I believe it is. Yes. Well, it is astonishing, and it takes the teen buddy convention and is faithful to it. You've seen this trajectory in so many different ways, but this is Gen Z's high school swan song, and the characters are interesting and different. Um, There is one character played by, I want to get a name because she's so good, um, Billy Lord, who plays uh uh, she's presented as being the rich girl in the class but that is she's present she's played in a way like you'd never expect and it's bizarre and hilarious and it just keeps getting funnier she's one of my favorite movie characters in recent memory (laughs) wonderful oh isn't she um she's the daughter of carrie fisher that's who she is oh look at that see i know nothing about her yeah uh, and there's some bit parts for uh, Jason Sudeikis and Lisa Kudrow and Will Forte. Yeah. And it looks Jessica Williams. Yes. It is wonderful. Good. Glad to hear it. There's some wonderful gay characters that help me work through my own shame because at first I like judged them and feel repelled by them. I was like, oh, that's because that's who I was in high school. Hmm. That's that's why I don't like these mm-hmm. characters. They're They're a little too good. Um, it sounds like a great time and I can't wait until it's, uh, released generally. So I it can is, see it. It is a, it is a four star Dan review. Wow. Okay. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, uh, the 1976 motion picture. That's right. Network. We'll be back. Uh, see you soon. Bye. Welcome back, Josh and Dan. Dan, this week's movie is your selection, so you want to introduce us to Network. Sure. This film, unlike some others that I've chosen, is not one that I have a huge personal affinity for. I actually thought of it because on Fosse Verdon, Norbert Leo Butts passes through as Patty Chayefsky, and I thought, oh, yeah, Network. I know I saw this movie at some time in the past. I don't remember when or why. I remember liking it. And I thought we can get out of the late 90s and 2000s and look back at Network. I think it was prescient as far as what was going to go on in TV and now, sadly, <laughs> in, in our wider politic. <laughs> Because as I was rewatching yeah. this, I was thinking, wow, if this isn't exactly the world that I live in. Um, so yeah, Network is a 1976 American satirical film written by Patty Chayefsky and directed by Sidney Lumet about a fictional television network that has terrible ratings. And they're able to increase their ratings by allowing a uh, broadcaster played by Peter Finch to speak his mind and sort of tap in to 
the collective rage and uh, cultural malaise that's being felt. And things get kind of zany. They certainly do. <laughs> that's my that's my description. I wondered, Dan, if the uh, Broadway production had any role in, in you thinking of this film. I didn't know that there was one. That's not Brian true. Cranston. Brian, Brian Cranston, right? Yeah. It's a play. Yeah. Right. Oh, that, and I don't that, know anything about it except that it exists and he's in it. I have actually some very specific questions about the adaptation of this because not to get ahead of myself on my thoughts on the movie, I really do enjoy it also. But I think the character of um, Howard Beale, the Peter Finch character, the on-air personality guy, that is a role that is really juicy up top and then gets kind of one note and kind of falls into the background. And I'm wondering... You know, it kind of becomes the other Max, the other guy kind of becomes the main character. Also, Faye Dunaway. I'm just curious for the stage show. They're making a big deal about Brian Cranston being in this meaty role. Also, just, you know, I imagine they would have to update the specifics of the politics and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So my mind when you my mind was jogged as we were just talking about it, that, yeah, I've had I've heard of Brian Cranston in this. And my next thought was, is he playing the Beale role because I feel the exact same as what you just described. So Peter Finch won this Oscar, won the Oscar posthumously for this mm-hmm. role. Um, and I'm, I'm rewatching it. I'm thinking I, I really quite prefer William Holden's performance Yeah, in, in this. I feel like he is the true lead and Finch isn't, uh, isn't supporting necessarily. He He's a right. co-lead, but this is really an ensemble cast and he's mostly having a meltdown and he's chewing the scenery and then hitting the floor. And then he kind of falls out of yeah. the plot for the last part where there's to me more of an impact. And sure. I, th- I think that William Holden is the person who carries the movie. And it's hard yeah. for me to imagine a, a stage adaptation where your big draw star is playing a character that fizzles out like that. Right, right. And in the movie, you know, it serves the needs of the film. It's a really, I saw it long, long time ago. And I remember the key scenes. I remember them, the two drunk old guys in the beginning of the movie laughing out in the streets of New York. I remember, of course, the mad as hell scene. And I remember the Ned Beatty scene in the conference room. Everybody knows those kind of big moments in the movie. And in my mind, it was a straight up, drama i was very young when i when i first saw it um and now i'm as i was watching it in my notes i'm like is this a satire this is a satire because there's two kind of big things happening here there's the sensationalism of media and then there's also the corporatization of media and how those are really um you know two sides of a coin i guess and he'd go on the air and he would he would specifically criticize the corporate overlords of his network and then it would cut to them reviewing their ratings that to me was a a sharp satirical moment that that really speaks to the way tv and media works today that he could go on and he could bash his corporate ownership and then they really don't care because they're raking in the ratings and the money that changes later in the movie when there's a specific reason that they don't like what he's saying and i guess i was surprised that his character was so willing to change his messaging based on that kind of uh, those threats from from corporate. And I found that I, I get why they did that. And it leads to that amazing scene with Ned Beatty. But I, I kind of liked what it was saying before that point. Yeah, I like where it starts off. That to me begins in the realm of the believable, where he is through with life as usual. And he 
mouths off on the air. That's something that could happen in the real world. And I think perhaps maybe did. And that's what this was, story was inspired by. Hmm. And then when it happens again, it's able to happen because William Holden is disillusioned with the news that he's received. And he's trying to stick it to his supervisor by allowing it to happen a second time. And that's all it needs then to be a runaway success. Mm-hmm. I I think it's fascinating that in the 1970s, we're thinking about what we didn't really see until when did the 24-hour news cycle begin? I mean, yeah, that's... 90s? Decades later. Yeah. And entertainment news, that wasn't a thing right. back then. And to watch that show, it looks so ridiculous. Right. It isn't that much different from what we see today. I think that um, Faye Dunaway is wonderful in this role. Mm. She is seeing an opportunity that I don't know if uh, she inspired <laughs> media conglomerates to do exactly what she does or to play the role that she does. Right. But this is exactly where we've found ourselves. And she has a perverse interest. You know, she's not eating popcorn, but she's like eating a burger or something. And the worse it gets, the more into it that she is. Mm-hmm. And whatever her relationship with Holden represents, I think it's a little murky. You know, he calls her television when he leaves her. Right. right. Finally. Yeah, I have that quote. And, and in that. a way she is. And can we talk about Beatrice Strait for a second? Sure. What an impactful scene is that? She So she won an Oscar for that scene, one of the shortest Oscar winning scenes in history. She is strong and she's vulnerable and she's funny. And I think it is so difficult out of nowhere, left field, to be able to have that kind of impact yeah. on a moment in film. Their relationship seems real, quite real, even though he's mistreating her and being so disrespectful of her to leave. It seems like they probably still have a future together because what they have is real apart from this television fantasy that Faye Dunaway represents. Yeah. And he ultimately leaves her to go back to his wife. And though there's some sexual and relational politics going on there, to me, that's the equivalent of turning off the news that otherwise will just keep on bringing something new to your eyes and ears to harass you or aggravate you. Right. And it, takes you away from your real life. I also wrote down the quote when he's um, breaking up with Faye Dunaway, and he, he says, your television incarnate, indifferent mm-hmm. to suffering, insensitive to joy, all of life reduced to banality. I also have, sorry, I impugned your coxmanship. I think that was a line of, of his wife. <laughs> no, that was Faye, Faye Dunaway, wasn't it? So Oscars for Finch and Dunaway and Straight and uh, original screenplay for Chayefsky. So it was a major, it was a major wow. player that year. In hindsight, I would totally give that Oscar to William Holden. Oh, yes. It's his Absolutely. movie. Something I found interesting, Dan, about this movie was that it predicts with such um, frightening precision the type of circus that media would become, the news would become. But it also, I guess this reflects what, what's happening in the 70s. It also predicts that the political forces that will be exploited will be left-wing. Whereas mm. in today's reality, it's it's in the other direction. And I don't imagine, that's another question I have about the Broadway show. I assume it's not the Ecumenical Liberation Army, which I thought was a funny name. But those scenes are great. They're just very specific to the 70s, that idea of militia groups and 
that are these extreme, you know, uh, black communist. I love this the part where they're arguing with this liberation army, and I have a, I have that written down here somewhere. Too. I love that scene and that actress. What's her name? Uh, she's wonderful. Yeah, yeah I don't. Have she's her name. so she's so fierce. Right. I, I have written down here. One of the guys in the in the army just punctuates that scene by saying, "Give her the fucking overhead claws," because right. they're arguing <laughs> with these terrorists about their TV right. deal. I know that is one of my, I can't believe I forgot to bring it up. That is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. The, uh, of course, everyone loves the, the Ned Beatty and Ned Beatty's great. All that business about there is no, there are no nations. There are corporations that's prescient, but it's almost like, I feel like that is completely prescient, but it's also a little more obvious than the media stuff. I feel like it was easier to kind of trace those trajectories than maybe some of the more specific stuff they did about about how media works yeah that's true and i'd forgotten about ned Beatty's scene you said oh these iconic scenes that mm-hmm. we all remember and and i remember that he was nominated for an oscar and so i was looking forward to uh whatever the scene would be and i wasn't disappointed to, you have meddled with the primal it. forces of nature and you must atone <laughs> it's so good i really lament that there's not a lot of movies like this now movies tend to be super serious if they're going to take on this kind of stuff or they're just over the top wacky and the fact that this would be a dark adult uh, satire it made me long for more more movies like this you really need to have a creative spark like Chayefsky clearly does he is He's on, not on the margins of society, that's not what I mean, but he's not sitting at the center of mainstream culture. He's he's touring the outskirts here. When you look at a film, for example, like Longshot, <laughs> that isn't looking ahead at all. Right. It's sitting on its couch and turning on the TV and looking at the here and now and be like, oh, look at this. Let's just heighten this right. a little bit. And everyone will recognize it and guffaw and say, oh, yeah, I know that. You have I know to what see that movie about. in spring 2019. Yeah. Right. We're talking about someone who 30 or 40 years early saw this before anyone else yeah. and created a world around that. And imagine what that would be if a screenwriter today somehow was able to have that crystal ball and could see 30 years into the future and create a satire today about that. Yeah. That would be a different movie from Longshot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the only things that I have reservations about with this movie are, are really just kind of cosmetic things about when it was made. The narration really bothers me that it will just go to kind of a very dry matter of fact, you know, man explaining what happened. And it feels so unnecessary. It always feels to me like movies are either cheating or, or something's been edited out especially later on when it does something I re- a pet peeve of mine in movies toward the end when Howard is giving his big final uh, rant, his monologue, the narration, the narrator just starts talking over him and I can't stand when that happens. Oh, I like that. Do you? And yeah, I'll, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Because the way we get somewhere is less important. We can, we can think that through. And I like not having to watch how it all plays out as far as the movie's trajectory goes, they could have added 20 minutes to the end to talk about the plan to assassinate Howard Beale. Sure. But instead, so quickly, 
we move from that Howard's got to go scene. Well, obviously we kill him. Right, <laughs> it's, right. You know, it's, it's unthinkable, it's but to ending. them it's I so love the obvious. Yeah. Right. And then then he's just killed. Right. And then the narrator just sums yeah. it up and we're done because it's would, really that easy. I think you can be a little more savvy without without bloating it. You can have you can have instead of a narrator, you can have a news report saying the same exact thing, but you just edit the audio in a way or you have a throwaway line from someone. It's just a personal thing that it rubbed me the wrong way. But yeah, I see what you mean. I wouldn't have wanted them to to do any more than they did with that ending. It's ridiculous, but it's perfect. Yeah, the first person ever to be killed for ratings in a way that's a joke, but in a way not. Yeah, right. He he was that disposable to them. They completely used him and his madness until they couldn't use him anymore. And then he was thrown out. And it turns out he was just the tool of that corporate machine that he was bloviating against the entire time right and if that isn't the way yeah the fact that the the fact that they were so prescient is also depressing because now the the things that they predicted the things that that they saw coming are so ubiquitous and they're even kind of worse than they thought like this is a ridiculous satire but just look at you know and who are the howard beals in real life is it the glenn becks and the Sean Hannity's like the people who go off on these righteous rants. Like it's not even at least with Howard, you feel like there was something sincere at first that people latched onto. Whereas now it's all so cynical and all so calculated and partisan. And I think that's the other thing too, is it was not, you know, uh, there's a lot of politics in this movie, but it was really more about sensationalism and America just kind of selling its soul. But the fact that it's become so ridiculously partisan and sad. Yeah, I think that um, th- this is what Trumpism is about when Diana is making that speech near the beginning mm-hmm. where she so eloquently lays out the idea that you just need to tap into a collective rage and then people will be with you in a moment because people feel alone and isolated in their anger and they feel depressed and despair. Like there's nothing that can be done, but if someone is able to articulate their rage and help the people who are enraged communicate with one another and get behind this thing that, Oh, that's me. And actually there's an us here and you start to feel empowered. And Mm. I, I feel like that's who the Finch character is. It's like, it doesn't matter really what he says or what he does he now speaks for me and i'm and i'm i'm team beal yeah i think that i think that's a lot of the the mago world yeah yeah okay wow thanks for suggesting this movie dan i really enjoyed revisiting it oh you're quite it also welcome. dislodged us from the uh 2000 to 2002 uh rut that we were kind of stuck in <laughs> I knew you were trying to get us out of the early 2000s, so you chose Gospel yes, Park. <laughs> hey, it took uh, it took a brave radical like yourself to get it done. I almost didn't do it for that reason. I felt that I would be doing something wrong <laughs> and sending us in a different direction. From, we're not allowed to do those movies. <laughs> we're developing an identity. We have to do the English around. patient next week to atone. <laughs> exactly. I thought oh, about doing English You <laughs> Keep that in your back pocket for a few more weeks. I think I have my pick for next week. Do you want me to 
Hell yeah, I do. Uh, I, I'm choosing Dark City, and I just had to call up IMDb to see. I'm not straying too far. 98. <laughs> I wondered what you were going to say. You were checking <laughs> the title. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure I'm giving the right title. Township? All right. Well, that sounds, that sounds great because I have never seen Dark City, nor I don't think heard of it, okay. apart from you bringing it up. Roger Ebert was a huge champion of this movie. That's not why I'm picking it. That's not. That's just a, a, a an entry point for you. That Ebert became fixated on this movie. It's kind of a noir sci-fi uh, sleeper that um, he was. He tried to get uh, more attention drawn to. Well, I will definitely read his review, and I will probably even watch the film before we talk Excellent. about it. I got a lot of commitment. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can follow us both on Letterboxd. You can follow the show on Twitter at HoldsUpPod. And our theme music's by Jonah Rapino. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll talk about another movie or five. And have a great week, Dan. And also with you. Peace. Silencio. Silencio. Yeah, I've become very judgmental of people and become <laughs> I've I've been increasing <laughs> in my <laughs> in my sanctimonious <laughs> tirades <laughs> against sure. people who I mostly resent for <laughs> being just the worst and yet <laughs> way more successful than I am. <laughs> <laughs>